kind of when you see a drunk man it makes you mad when you get drunk you look just as bad you better cut that out yeah you better cut that out you better cut that out boy before it be too late Ah, that stuff sounds like a thorn machine. Music never got off the ground or got clear of all those old-fashioned boys. The whole thing was dying on his feet. Oh, Say you. what you like about him. I know his stuff sounds old-fashioned. Modern pop is left him far behind, but his stuff was the real primeval dawn. He was the pioneer. You call that stuff music? I could get more melodies by shutting a tomcat's tail in a rusty escalator. Aye. What's the matter with those guys? They, they got all their music upside down? Greetings, fellow Earth babies, and welcome to Post-Punk Heartstrings. I'm Jimmy James S. Butler, and that is Cutout Shapes by Magazine bringing us in today. I want to thank you for joining me for this episode. This is part two of the Cutouts discussion that Mark and I had, and we are wrapping it up with our fourth and fifth picks. In case you didn't hear the last episode, Mark and I decided to pick five albums that we bought that were Cutouts. You don't know what cutouts are? We'll go back and listen to episode 19, and it is explained on that episode. We ended up making it through the first three of our cutout picks, so each of us is going to talk about numbers four and five. So without any more introducting from the likes of myself, let's jump into it. Number four. Number four. Mark, what's number, number four? four? So I'm going to go with... T-Bone Burnett and the Talking Animals. Oh, I love that. Came out in 88. Is this an album that you've listened to or have any familiarity I, with? I bought it when it came out. Um, okay. Now, I don't have a copy of it now because I bought it on cassette. Okay. And I have not replaced it. But I'm very familiar with it. And who knows why I bought it? Probably because I, I read an article in CCM or something like that. Yeah. The title track was actually played on MTV. And I saw it on MTV. Okay. So I think those two things, hand in hand, like gave me the impetus to get that one. And I loved it. I hadn't it's listened a, to it in a long time until till you put it on your list. But I'd been meaning to, because yeah. I think we brought it up when we were talking about uh, Sam Phillips. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I need to go back and listen to that again. So, again, so tell me about it. Yeah, this one probably came just a little bit later. Um, so the first two or three, like my first year in college, 
I don't remember specifically when I got this one, but it had to have been somewhere probably my second, maybe heading to my third year of college. Um, getting one of those. So when was that? Stuff. So it did it come out in 1980? It, it came out in 88. It came out in 88. Yeah. And I went to college in the fall of 89, graduated in 93. So this is probably, you know, three to four years after uh, the album came out. It was an album that I had familiarity with, uh, again, reading reviews in CCM magazine and probably some other music journals and reading some stuff and, you know, talked about discovering music by, you know, artists that played on other people's albums. Yeah. Well, the other way that I would discover is, is through reading reviews and interviews and magazines mm-hmm. and people like uh, Brian Quincy Newcomb and, and Bruce Brown. And, you know, I came to appreciate their reviews and their critique and so if if they wrote about it positively and it was kind of on the alternative side of things, okay, that was a voice that I was gonna gonna trust and go check out. And then of course the familiarity with Burnett's work with Sam Phillips and all of that sort of thing. When I saw it, you know, it was, it was a no-brainer. I'm gonna get this. The album cover's got a really oh, great I love the album cover. piece of art on it. Yeah. Um, I'm never quite sure exactly <laughs> what it is. Um, but no, it really does right evoke now. sort of a uh, that whatever the theme of <laughs> uh, the talking animals. Uh, there's also a song Killer Moon on the album. So that's you know, oh, that's the, I'm sorry, that's the one that was that that's the song that has the line. I said title track, animals. but it's not the title yeah. track. It's called Killer Moons, and it yeah. says the talking animals. That's it right, has the that talking line animals in it. that, that's yeah, in yeah. that. That's yeah. right. It, right. it, it evokes the feel of that song. Oh, it's great. great uh, song. In, the, in the artwork. Got to remember to tell me what to play. The opening track for sure, Wild Truth. Wild Truth. Um, okay. Yeah. That's a great, upbeat, energetic, danceable kind of tune. Um, I want the Wild Truth. And mm-hmm. just, you know, again, it, it's a song that's got a deep uh, and significant spiritual message about the importance of truth, but that truth is wild and, you know, it's not going to be contained. And, you know, a, a lyric like that was really significant because the denomination I was raised in, I, I come from a Seventh-day Adventist background, and there was a lot of times that longtime members of the Adventist church would refer to the Advent message as the truth. Okay. So there's a very specific conception of what truth is, and yet here's T-Bone who's affirming the idea of truth. <laughs> But talking about the wild truth, the wild and it's truth, not sort of this this bounded, constricted sort of way truth was talked about in the tradition that I come from. So I really love that. Of course, it's a it's a great danceable kind of tune. So definitely that one uh, yeah. well worth using to to demonstrate the album. And the other one that uh, I would can I say something about that real quick? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm just looking at the lyrics right now. You never said it was a bed of roses, but you never said it was a bed of nails. <laughs> I like <laughs> that a lot. a great line. You Is never told me about the rubber hoses. Yes. Or how unsteady were the justice scales. I need the wild truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. great. There's some humor. Um, yeah. It's an upbeat, danceable tune, like I said. Yeah, it's just, it's a really, really good song. Bye. 
and then later in the album is the song Relentless. Oh, um, yeah. And that's kind of a surprise pick. I was going through and listening, which ones yeah. do I want to feature? But there's something in the energy and the spirit of Relentless that I think is, is well worth kind of showcasing T-Bone. He can do a lot of the artsy kind of stuff. And looking at the um, Wikipedia entry for this album, uh, they quote a couple of reviewers. I think Robert Christigau is one of those who referred to T-Bone as being pretentious. Yeah, I saw uh, that. I read that. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, that was a little rough. I, he's I get he's the always fi- writing stuff like that. I get the feeling that he probably kind of is in general, but maybe pretentious isn't exactly the right word. Yeah, prete- I mean, he clearly... But I think that's a little harsh. <laughs> the, the, yeah. The, when I read it, I was yeah. like, that feels a little harsh. But. Yeah. There are some interesting musical choices on here, but the Relentless is a really good one to sample for the album. One of the, al- the songs I refer to quite often in my work in training student chaplains is the song image hmm. and it's like the third song that's the one that sounds yeah, like third song. You, something you would hear at a french cabaret it's got yes the, the french accordion and these kind of melodramatic vocals mm-hmm. um it's got a simple verse and you know it's sung in four different languages but the the theme as I'm, you know, training student chaplains to pay attention to how and who they present themselves to be. I had this image of you and you had this image of me and your image would talk to my Mm -hmm. image and my image would talk to your image. And somewhere along the way, our images let each other down. (laughs) Holy cow. Isn't that a gut punch? Yeah. When I was listening to this again the other day, I was like, I came to this song and I was like, wait a minute. Oh yeah. Okay. I forgot the song was on there. Yeah. Because it's really different. It really is. It's but I like so it unlike lot. anything else. You know, and this album has, again, some pretty significant names. Bono. Um, yes. Does guest vocals on here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, let me see if I've got the notes of on. one of the guys from the band. Um, oh, one of the guys from the band was on here. there? Oh, okay. Um, I thought so. I know Garth Hudson has done stuff with, um, and maybe I'm mixing it up with with uh, The Call. Peter Case also. Peter Case, uh, on one of your album. threads. Tony okay. And yeah, Tony, Tony okay. okay is on this album. And if one of the guys from the band is not here, it's very much the kind of thing you can imagine that they might be a guest uh, on this album. I think uh, Bono was on the song um, Euromad, uh, which is, in a, again, a, a travel he was, he was on per- He was on Purple Heart. Or Purple Heart, okay. And he actually did part of the vocals, I believe, on it. Yeah, Um, yeah. But yeah, I remember when I got the album, I was surprised. I was like, oh, wait, Bono's on this? How did Mm -hmm. Thibaut Burnett get Bono to be on this album? (laughs) (laughs) T-Bone's got enough sway and influence. He had, yeah. (laughs) And I don't think I even realized uh, Tony O.K. was on it until, you know, I was listening back through for this. I certainly didn't know or remember that Peter Case was involved in The Killer Moon. Yeah. And then we can't talk about the talking animals without referencing the closing track. (laughs) The Strange Case of Frank Cash and the Morning Paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a trippy song, man. I mean, this is T-Bone also has a, a history of doing sort of spoken word songs. Uh, we talked about mm-hmm. it with Coburn, but, but T-Bone does as well. And this is almost sort of a morality tale, if you will. A guy who gets the paper delivered to his house, but it's like on Sundays, he gets Monday's paper. So he knows who's going to win all the football <laughs> games for the season. And 
starts placing bets. And sure enough, he ends up making all kinds of money. He sells his house and uh, then he doesn't get the paper delivered to his new mansion. That And so he can't continue to earn money from the newspaper. And so he goes back to get the newspaper from the house where he used to live. And it ends with the line, the damn paper had ceased to prognosticate. <laughs> so he, all right. he gets all this wealth and and it takes advantage of it and then essentially losing it all. It's a really intriguing. I'm curious, what was the inspiration? I the song I like don't that? know. <laughs> really bizarre uh, it is. song on here. And to end the album that way, it's it's really yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. So you, you can see with like image and then the strange case of Frank Cash, why Robert Christigal might say, you know, this guy's a little bit pretentious. Yeah. Yeah, I can. But also, here's a line from Relentless that you talked about, including, you are relentless. This mercy convulses my pride. You are relentless. I find you wherever I hide. You are relentless. I have got nothing to win, and so I give in. That's not pretentious. No. No, that's humble. Yeah, that's very humble. I run and stumble as the mountains shake while your love blazes like a world in flames. You know, let's call him Artsy. <laughs> Artsy. That's that. And maybe yeah. he was doing Radiohead before they were Radiohead and uh, <laughs> doing exactly what he wants to do, even if it's something that other people may not understand or land with. He's exploring his art. <laughs> so. Exactly. But I thought it was really interesting your picks like they have all these threads that are connected you know this one's got peter yeah. case and tony okay and then you know tony okay has t-bone burnett as the executive producer mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you got peter case that t-bone was involved in um, right and t-bone later produces bruce coburn okay there's a connection right. later on. um yeah. and 
I forget which else, but Burnett shows up on, uh, does some recording with the call as well. There's some crossover. Uh, Things I should know and I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and here's another point of contact with maybe all but Peter Case on here is going to be Mark Hurd. T-Bone and Mark were friends. Wasn't Ideola a what? Yeah. Uh, recording? Yep. I thought it was. Yeah. Mark Hurd, yeah. the Ideola album that Mark Hurd did was, was label mates with Tony OK. And Bruce Coburn, Tonio, uh, The Call, Michael Bean all show up on Mark Hurd tribute albums. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, Michael Bean plays guitar on Mark Hurd's Dry Bones Dance album. That's a great album, too. Yeah. That album. Yeah. yeah. All these so connections. There's, there's a lot of connections and crossovers. I'm not sure who the member of the band would be, but I don't know everybody that's listed here. Yeah, looking so. looking at this list, I think I'm misremembering. I had thought for sure there was somebody from the band, but as I look at the the credits, I don't see. Man, there's a lot of pretty significant people though. Yeah, on this album. Yeah. Wow. I also saw the name, one of the names we've talked about before, pop up, and I think it was on the Peter Case self-titled Van Dyke Parks. Yes. Was that on the Peter Case? I think possibly so. So that's got some, you know, we referenced that in one of our other episodes when we were talking about Sam Phillips. Yeah, he shows so. up on Sam Phillips. And Van Dyke, you know, goes back to the Beach Boys, um, had done a lot of the arrangements for the, as, as I recall, for the Smile album, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe even on um, some of the pet sounds. So Van Dyke's got a long musical pedigree wow. uh, as well. And T-Bone pulled to, to work on a lot of the various projects that uh, T-Bone does. Lots of connections. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Number four on my list. Yeah, what's yours next one? Steve Taylor on the Fritz, Taylor. 1985. Right. And this, I actually, I had the cassette and i'm not sure this is on cd at all maybe it is i've never seen it listed as being on cd but maybe it is this is the one i bought uh, when i was in minnesota at the uh -huh. electric fetus uh, record store that's kind of a famous record store there that a lot of musicians have been in and stuff and i don't remember what other albums i bought that day but this one i was just looking through the discount rack and it was like 99 cents but it yeah, had like yeah. a little punch hole in the upper right part of the um the lp jacket which i didn't even realize at the time and doesn't matter to me but <laughs> <laughs> it was 99 cents but it's so cool because you open it up and it's got all the insert stuff in. I remember when it first came out, it had like this coloring contest where you colored to try to design his outfit or something like that. Oh, <laughs> and it man. had that insert in it and it had the tour list. And I was at one of the concerts that was in Kansas City that was on the list. So it was pretty yeah. cool. But this album was the first album. I want to say I'd heard I Want to Be a Clone, that song. Right. Uh, through a friend of mine. But I knew little of Steve Taylor. And uh -huh. he was in town and this friend of mine and I on a whim, like we were like, oh, somebody said Steve Taylor's playing over whatever. Well, let's just go. And I went and it blew me away because I hadn't ever been to a concert that was also like a show. And Steve Taylor <laughs> does a show. I don't know if you've ever seen Steve Taylor or seen Chagall Guevara. Um, I don't think I have had that opportunity. Or probably maybe some videos. In video, yeah. He definitely is moving around all over the place and very expressive and very, uh, body, his body language is doing different things. The only other thing I'd seen like it that made me a, a huge fan of this type of music mm -hmm. um, 
was the first concert that I ever went to, which wouldn't be what you'd expect considering I was, I was raised in sort of a Christian culture. Although my parents were not like super strict or anything like that. And I had uh, a lot, I'm the youngest of 10. So I had a lot of siblings who listened to secular yeah, music. Sure. My first concert, Adam Ant, <laughs> and <laughs> it was the same type of concert. There was a lot of theatrics, I guess you could yeah. say, and not just standing there at a microphone singing or whatever. So it was kind of like an art show you know right. sort of kind of like you two says we're not musicians we're artists <laughs> <laughs> which is why they put on a show you know or do you yeah. know incorporate different you know multimedia type stuff in their concerts and things like right. that but but anyway um we went and i was just amazed and blown away and was a huge fan after that so this one's always been huge of course i really liked that he was confronting a lot of the stuff in the christian culture like Jimmy yeah. Swaggart and the name it and claim it type mm -hmm. of thinking. And I didn't really realize until I started, I was reading through the lyrics for this album that he really was coming after this whole Bill Gothard thing, which there's a actual oh, shiny, happy people. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Have yeah. I watched it? that documentary series. Yeah. yeah. And I remember oh. the whole Bill Gothard thing. I don't know if you had any interaction with that coming from if you were Seven Day Adventist, maybe not. Yeah, um, I remember familiarity with the name, but yeah, when I was not you as know, much a Christian high school, there was a lot of talk of Bill Gothard seminars and going to these seminars and how everybody should. And and I remember them coming and talking about music and the whole thing of the rhythm is what comes out of the jungles in Africa and it corresponds to your yeah. sexual rhythm and, and all this stuff. And that's why it's all horrible and all this stuff. I manipulate is the song and it sounds like it's really going after the Gothard thing. Yeah. Take your notebooks. Turn with me to the chapter on authority. Yeah. Uh, do you top the chain of command? Rule your family with an iron hand. That's, I mean, exactly what they talk about in that shiny, happy people documentary. That yeah. sense of authority. And the role of the women. It, yeah. It Reference that in the I manipulate lyrics as well. That's not now one of the ones I'm going to play. But yeah. <laughs> now it's time to fill in the space where we talk about a woman's place. Do you want to build a happy home? Have you sacrificed a mind of your own? Holy cow, because a good, good wife learns yeah, to cower underneath the umbrella of power. There's that. Umbrella. So there's a specific yeah. reference umbrella to that yeah. whole Bill Gothard because they had the umbrella uh, metaphor in all of their yep. literature. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. Grief. From the cover of Heaven's Gate, I manipulate. Yeah. So somebody within the Christian culture, like going after that stuff. Steve Taylor is an interesting character for me. I used to be friends with him on Facebook. Okay. But I don't think he has a Facebook personal thing now. He may. I think he may have gotten to that point because I think there's a limit. When I talked to Steve Hindelong, he talked about that was one of his struggles. He's very friendly, right? He's very social. Yeah. In fact, I think he friend requested me. Like, I just like something. He's that friendly, like Steve yeah. is, right? Yeah. You know, you, you, you're friends with Steve, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 But he said that there's, um, I think there's a limit. So he said sometimes he maxes out because he was like, I don't drop people off my friend list very often, but they have to do something pretty significant. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, it's kind of tough because I've got that, you know you've got a limit to where a, a number limit or something like that. It's kind of, yeah. anyway, I used to be friends with Steve. And so I wish I could reach out and say, Hey, will you come on my podcast? Because <laughs> I want to ask him some questions about yeah. have any of your perspectives changed? 
just to kind of get where he's at on things like has has anything changed um yeah but, that'd be real but, interesting to find out i can't get through to him and that's okay well, but he's well, very interesting and i have a lot of respect for him and what he's done right and obviously musically i think he's a very interesting character because i think he's a masterful lyricist and songwriter he really is he's not afraid to step on toes yeah 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 for sure well, while we were talking about I Manipulate, I was listening to that yesterday morning, and it struck me that the keyboard sound that they use and kind of the slow building chords and then getting into some of the verses and gets a little bit more frenetic and upbeat, it's not identical, but it sounds very similar to the song One Night in Bangkok. Ah, okay. Yeah, remember, no, I hear it. I know that? what you're talking about. Yes, so I know exactly what you're talking the, about. Play those two songs. Yeah. And just listen to the way the keyboards are used and some of the rhythms and patterns and, and whatnot. It's not uh, an obvious thing, but it's it's a at least, a, I'd say, perhaps a influence in, in some respects. The keyboard really pulls that together. Without even going to listen to it, I know what you're talking about. I, I, I can hear One Night in Bangkok in my head and that the... Um, Dun, 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 dun. I, can, I know what you're talking about, the, yeah. the keyboard thing in the background. Yeah. yeah, so from this album, On the Fritz, I really love On the Fritz quite a bit. It's talking about mm -hmm. pride, how pride is the one thing that takes you down. Um, right. It's before the whole thing with Jimmy Swaggart came out, I believe. Yeah. That was a little bit later. This album came out in 1985, and um, I think that was more like 1988 or something like that. But, but it's mm. very... No, don't think so. Jim um, Swagger was somewhere in the mid 80s. Yeah. So it might have been close to the same time. For some reason, I was thinking it was a little bit after this album came out. Let's... Probably was happening during when this album came out. <laughs> yeah. I guess it was a little bit later. 88 is when the. Yeah, um, a little bit later. Sex scandal. Um, but it was, was interesting the because but... the lyrics are, you know, he kept his ego there. It was a sad affair on the Fritz. The public's had enough. They've come to call your bluff on the Fritz. Small yeah. talk breeds where kingdoms come crashing. Rumor conquers where it wills. No one hears you. Go ahead and cash in. If you don't die to yourself, pride kills. And some of the previous verses kind of paint this picture of like uh, someone who's in like a leadership position in the church. So they're kind of like speaking out strongly against sinners and people who are living lifestyles yeah. that, that are sinful. But then they've got this side thing they're hiding, this affair that they're having.
So it's yeah, kind of like, like prophetic in a way, maybe. I don't know, but... Well, and there's enough specificity that is kind of veiled. I'm curious who it's about. It's got to be about yeah, exactly, someone. Exactly. There's a website called Sock Heaven. I was just a, looking at that. a fan website. You know, it's really has a lot of stuff because they went to the trouble to pull in different interviews on, on different songs, like where he's talking about different songs from mm-hmm. different places they pulled it all together this was in crosswalk syndicated radio interview it was right around the same time like when that song yeah. came out he said you take a song like on the fritz which is about compromise and in general the song is about this person who leads a double life between doing religious music and what their personal life is like being on the road i mean ask anyone who's in christian music we see that stuff all the time yeah. And the one specific ex- example that I remember, you may or may not remember this, uh, depending on how involved you were in the Christian music in the 80s, but Whiteheart, you know, one of the Christian bands at the time, uh, they had an album called Hotline. And okay. then their next album, I believe, was called uh, Read the Book, Don't Wait for the Movie. Yeah. Um, so at this time, I was listening to that music, even though I had like this sort of discontent with it at the time because i was like kind of liking this other more um new wave you know that type of stuff um but that's what all everybody was listening to you know Mm -hmm. my school and church and stuff so but um in between those two albums their lead singer they got rid of him and they got a new guy i think his name was rick florian or something like that i can't remember but um and i think scott douglas was the other guy and okay. that guy was like, you know, having sex with fans after the show or whatever. Oh, wow. You know, like young girls or whatever. So it just makes you wonder how much of that, you know, that ego. It's not like they started out like that, right? That pride right. Of, the, of the situation kind of took over them, just like hearkening back to the up on the catwalk, the simple minds we're talking about and how that ego can take over and become something and make you an entirely different person than who you are. Mm-hmm. and bring you down so we have that song about ego and pride and and that you know going before the fall and then we have this sort of uncharacteristic song in this album uncharacteristic of steve taylor called to forgive and it's a more positive song and he wrote it after he saw um i think it was a newsweek uh, photo or something like mm-hmm. that on, on the cover of uh, pope john paul ii standing in a prison cell shaking hands with the man who tried to assassinate him and forgiving him Mm-hmm. And so the song's all about like the release and the healing and victory that you have through forgiveness. Yeah, I saw a man. He was he was holding the hand that had fired a gun at his heart. That's the Pope shaking hands with this guy and says, "Oh, will we live to forgive?" I saw the eyes and the look of surprise as he left an indelible mark. Mm-hmm. Oh, will we live to forgive? And then it says, "Come find release. Go make your peace." Yeah.
So I don't know. I just thought that struck something in the core of my heart. The powerful um, fault. Because forgiveness is tough stuff. It um, is, yeah. And to be at a place where you can forgive somebody for something and the mark that can make on them and the sort of supernatural effect that that can have on you yeah. to forgive someone, you know, I don't know. Those are the yeah. two I picked. Great songs. And the guitar player, this was looking, I think the solo is a guy named John McCurry, but the guitar solo in that to forgive almost sounds like a dead on impersonation of uh, the edge. Yeah. Yeah. It's big guitars and you got that big solo that's in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he surrounded himself. I mean, they were called the Sum Band, right? I don't think necessarily who recorded it was in Sum Band, but he had this band called Sum Band. And I think right. that was part of why his albums were so good. He had these really great uh, musicians um, mm -hmm. playing in his band. This album, I'm guessing Sparrow put out some money because it's produced by a guy named Ian McDonald. Ian McDonald was a member of King Crimson. Ah, okay. And um, was also a member um, of Foreigner. Ah, okay. So he's got, you know, some pretty significant... Oh, yeah, I see it. Okay. And then, you know, I'm guessing that they recorded this in, in New York. Uh, uh, Sock Heaven was saying uh, that they had hoped to go to London to record, but it was too expensive. So they brought Ian McDonald over. And uh, it looks like they've got a lot of studio musicians because there's a lot of names that I don't recognize from earlier steve taylor albums or later albums and some of the names that you'd expect oh, there's a to lot see of them with. holy crap uh, all the some band yeah um so john mccurry's a studio musician this carmine rojas on bass i think is a studio musician but not a name that i'm used to seeing in a lot of the ccm uh studio musicians from the era george small on keys hugh mccracken on drums all of these are new york session guys wow there's a lot of them yeah and then the one you were talking about earlier, Drive, he said. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's kind of a spoken word. Another one so. of those spoken words. Scratch, yeah. dressed in red, pointy tail and horn-rimmed head. And a widow's peak like Eddie Munster. There's the Steve Taylor. <laughs> Such a great line. <laughs> yep. I sat frozen in my seat. We haven't had a chance to meet. Are you a singing telegram or something? <laughs> yeah. Uh but kind of who do you let it reminds me of carmen play. too much the song <laughs> <laughs> at the end i started humming amazing grace he said come on boy give me a break so i hit the brakes with both my feet and sent two horns through the bucket seat then the lock <laughs> shot up as the grace came down i said here's the keys i'll be walking back to town that seems yeah. so carmen to me <laughs> that does you're absolutely right <laughs> uh, oh I wonder how Steve feels about that. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I don't so much like the songs like this as much. I didn't so much like Lifeboat and songs like that. Maybe it's the music snob in me, sort of like. I, I like them a little more serious, yeah. artistic, in-depth, like less like, uh, hokey. Lifeboat, yeah. Like, yeah. Lifeboat played up the novelty angle so much with such a heavy-handed moral message. Yeah, yeah. I think even Steve regretted that later. <laughs> think... Did you ever see the music video for that? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I've got it somewhere. I've got I've got a VHS of uh, okay Limelight, and it's okay. on there. The, that All video's right. on there too. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh, my Taylor gosh. Greg is, is the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> he like spears the racer at one point. <laughs> yeah. 
very good <laughs> whatever <laughs> oh my gosh oh i still love steve i mean i love steve taylor in the perfect foil have you heard any of that i've heard yeah I've yeah heard there's some i mean stuff. great ensemble of musicians my gosh yeah. so yeah i like i like chagall guevara you know, mm-hmm. once he, I liked, I predict 1990 a lot. And then Chagall Guevara, I like, really liked that quite a bit because it was a little less in your face type stuff. But anyway, dun, 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 number five. All right. Number five. <laughs> number five for me is we're going back to the call uh, with their 1989 album, uh, Let the Day Begin. I know this album very well. <laughs> it's a great album. Um, you know, like you, I heard the calls um i still believe on the christian radio station you know they would play that sometimes they would play some of the earlier stuff from the call and i always loved the feel and and the energy of that song and this was one of the first times seeing a call album in the the cutout bin probably my second year of college or so i'm going to guess and of course everybody just about everybody has heard the opening track and the title track let the day begin yeah um so, I mean, you, you got to play that one. You got to play you, that you one. <laughs> and this one, I'm going to jump in real quick. This one, I love like his writing and his lyrics. Like he did this thing a lot where he would have this list of things. And this is one yeah. of those songs where he's got this list of things over, yeah. you know, he'll just, here's to the babies in a brand new world. Here's to the beauty of the stars. Here's mm-hmm. to the travelers on the open road. Here's to the dreamers in the bars. And he does that throughout this song. Yeah. And I think he was really like a, like a master of having these little one-liners and then stringing them all together and relating them. Right.
Well, and that whole song, I think, is ultimately a song of blessing. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Here's and here's to all of the you know. Well, and and here's the chorus. Here's to you, my little loves, with blessings from above. Now uh, let the day begin. Yeah. Right. So all of this. Here's to you. And in some ways, it's kind of a similar thing to what the Lost Dogs do with the song breathe deep they have the list of all these different kinds of people from all different kinds of walks oh, yeah. of life and whatnot and this is a similar sort of thing with a, a blessing to start off the album um, yeah he's got the doctors in their healing work and mm -hmm. he's got the strangers on the street yeah <laughs> in the same stanza you know yeah he's like pulling everybody in you know blessings to everyone i think it's awesome yeah which is kind of an interesting tone to set after an album like um <laughs> into the woods right the, the predecessor yeah that had a much darker feel this, to yeah it. initially i was disappointed in this album uh-huh because i i love the darkness and i love the, the yeah. struggling and all that and that's still probably my favorite call album to this day is into the it's woods. a phenomenal album yeah but and this was just the flip, you know, it's kind of like what happened to me with Chase the Kangaroo and then Wide-Eyed Wonder was like a flip, you know, right um, to the more positive. But yeah, I mean, this this is an amazing album. It really is. There's so many good songs. It's an album that feels good. It sounds good when I put it on. It's been a while since I have listened to the album uh, in its entirety. Now, when you bought it, you... Let's see, you had you got the cassette. It was a cassette cutout, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all of these were cassette cutouts that I so it got. had because this was kind of weird at the time. It had, I believe, the LP. There was a vinyl release, I believe, because the cassette had communication on it. Mm -hmm. And I think the vinyl did not. I think communication was a was an extra track that was on the cassette. Okay. Which is a great song. It is, yeah. So I can't imagine not having that. But I think probably even if you look up Let the Day Begin on Wikipedia, it probably doesn't mention that that track. Let's see. You're right. Communication is not on the yeah, track list. It was only on, because I remember there was a little note, you know how they put those little notes on cassettes. Yeah. And why they did this, I'm not sure. My, they would have like a little asterisk and say it's only available on the cassette. You yeah. Know, in the liner notes. I mean, the, the cassette, you could put, you could do longer music on a cassette. You know, the. And that's LP, why I'm sure. You're limited to the amount of space you've got unless you're going, you know, yeah. double album or something. And I think probably that song is communication is probably the song that would fit the best on Into the Woods, the sound hmm. of it. Um, yeah. If you go back and listen to it, it's got a sound that's kind of like expecting from Into the Woods or um, or one of those songs. But um, mm -hmm. there's some interesting things about this album that I didn't remember until I was reading about it again, even though I know it so well. <laughs> I didn't know Harry Dean Stanton was on it. What a trip, man. I had no idea until I was yeah. reading this. <laughs> some unexpected things so like crazy. that. And where they met um, on this uh, set of uh, Last Temptation of Christ. Yes. Um, yeah, Michael... and I didn't realize that. I knew he was in it because I watched it yeah. recently, like a couple years ago. I watched it. Had never seen it, but it always kind of wanted to since it was such a controversial thing in the Christian community. Yeah. And I knew if Michael Bean was in it, but I didn't realize Harry Dean Stanton was in it until I watched that. Yeah. And I guess he played harmonica on For Love, which I didn't know. 
Yeah, they co-wrote Watch and then plays the harp on, um, I, I believe you're right, For Love is the one he plays on. So I want you to comment on, you know, why this is, you know, such a impactful album to you. But what's the other song that sort of jumped out at you? Well, there's so many good. Or did, I you, mean, or did you have trouble picking? I did end up picking a second one uh, to play. But, you know, you run and you run and you run and you never mm. stop. The second track is really good. Yeah. Um, the surrender is such a keyboard driven, very quiet ballad. But same old story is a driving <sighs> track. Yeah. Yeah. It's got such energy and yeah. um, passion. And it's just a straight up rock and roll song where a lot of their other stuff, you know, is the call might be closer to some of the post-punk sound and ethos. This one's just a straight up rock and roll song. And it's a story of, you know, not knowing who to trust and not being able to meet expectations and kind of feeling caught in the middle. It's the same old story written in the stars above. It's the same old story, same old glory and the same old love. Uh, the second verse, crawling through the desert on my hands and knees, searching for the shade, praying for a breeze. We we're burning in the sun, freezing in the north catch you in between, toss you back and forth. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That feeling of just being caught in the middle Yeah, runs all throughout this song. I really love the last line of the song. Posse at the front door, bandits at the back, lock the door behind you and jump back in the sack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when I was reading, I was trying to think of what songs you were going to pick. This isn't typically my type of song, you know, but I love the song and maybe I would pick this one if I was going to pick some songs. Yeah. <laughs> They just th did this. They did this style of song so well. Yeah. Really well, did. and you know, there's something about this song I think that also starts to pave the way for Red Moon. Yeah. This album is sort of a transition between what they do throughout the '80s. It is. And yeah. coming into the '90s, and of course, after Red Moon, they go on hiatus for a while, which was mm -hmm. 
a bummer, but I mean, you said it before, Michael's voice, that baritone can soothe, it can wail, it can be impassioned, it can be deeply caring. It's just, it's an instrument unto its own. And I got to think because (laughs) he's the principal writer and vocalist that there's so much of the bass that comes to the fore in the arrangements. Yeah. And that the fact that the bass comes to the fore gives a darker sonic tone to a lot of the, the calls music. So, you know, why this one more than any of the others, this was really the first call album that I owned. Others I was mm-hmm. aware of, I had you know read about or heard songs here or there, but this was the first one that that I owned. And you know, that let the day begin. I mean, I I'm a person that typically has a fairly hopeful outlook on life and that let the day begin, let the day begin, let the day start is just such a song of as I said, blessing and hope. And I just I really love that opening track. Yeah, it's a great one. You were talking about his voice. The difference between his speaking voice and his singing voice. Did you listen to the True Tunes episode yes. that he had, that John Thompson had that old recording yes. of Michael Bean that he'd done, like, I don't know when, early 90s, maybe? Mid-90s? It I can't remember. Probably early to mid-90s, um, yeah. Yeah. And his speaking voice just sounds so completely different <laughs> than his singing voice. It's just... Yeah. But um, obviously, the calls and... Like I said, they're in like my probably top five of, of bands. And um, so I'll be doing other episodes. But I anyone who's listening who enjoys the call, you should go listen to that True Tunes uh, episode that he has the interview with Michael Bean on. Um, yeah. It's not the best of quality recordings, which I think he points out at the before he even starts, but it's well worth listening to. Yeah. And if anybody's going back, you got to go to like early um 2022 i was when that episode uh, yeah it was a while back it's findable though all right it's your turn (laughs) for number five the last one on my list is elam hall things break 1986 what a great album i'm guessing you had you had heard of elam hall um, I heard of it. I had it on just, cassette and then got it on CD. So I'm I'm familiar. Okay. I never had it on cassette. I have it on CD. I have my original LP that I got that's got the, the top right corner of the <laughs> jacket cut. Wow. But this is a interesting little piece of history <laughs> in, yeah. in Christian music. They're from Canada, another Canadian band. Really obscure album. If you dig into the lyrics, you hear the Christian messages, but they're pretty not in your face and poetic. Mm -hmm. Just listening to the album doesn't pull you into dissecting the lyrics, I don't think. It's one of those albums, you hear little pieces that like resonate with you. But I think if you heard this on a secular radio station, that would fit right in. Yeah. This particular album. I think the weird thing is they had another release. I think, I don't know if it was self-produced after this. It has little elements that sound kind of like this album, but just little elements. For the most part, it's quite different and doesn't really pull you in as much. And then I think one of the members went on to form a band called 100 Days, which I never yeah. tried to um, listen to and I could never, I just could never really, you know, get into. Are, are you familiar with, with 100 I am, Days? I am, and yeah. I've drawn a blank on which guy from, or I, I guess it was remember. a couple of them, joined with a guy named Ian Tanner, who yes, used to be Ian with, Tanner. The, oh, with the Awakening. 
Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. had done a couple of albums. So both The Awakening and Elam Hall had been on reunion records, and both bands were from Canada. Mm-hmm. And so at, at some point in the mid '90s, Ian and was it Ross and and Glenn uh, Teeple maybe from Elam Hall, right? Maybe had partnered, and I think Andrew Horrocks, who had also been in Oh um, yeah, the Awakening, the Awakening. Yep. had uh, done these 100 Days. It was a totally different sound from either of the Awakening or Elam Hall. And at the yeah. time, I got them, but I just I didn't get into it. And Ian Tanner has those albums up on his uh, Bandcamp mm. page. Okay, I've got them now, and I appreciate them much more now. I think mm. I had too much of an expectation it was going to sound like the Awakening or or something, mm-hmm. some of that 80s pop stuff like The Awakening had done or, or even some yeah. of what Paul had done. Yeah, talk about The Awakening. Th- those were interesting releases. That's completely yeah. different <laughs> discussion. Yeah. Elam Hall, this album, I guess it was compared a lot to The Police. I can hear some elements in there, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some of the guitar work reminds me a lot of U2. Yeah. Some of the high-end two-note <laughs> playing sort of reminds me of U2. I really like a song that's called Erosion on the album. Mm-hmm. Some of the lyrics, falling rain dissolves away the earth, takes away the dirt and streams of brand new birth. Wild yeah. wind blows, it drives against my face. Where it goes, who knows? It's gone without a trace. And when the age of this life takes its toll, it all boils right down to the soul. So you've got this spirituality, but it's very um, poetic lyrics and it's not dumbing anything down for you. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it's got this really nice guitar solo in there, the sort of post-punky guitar solo. one called testimony that's a really interesting song if you look at the lyrics i'm not sure exactly everything that this song is about (laughs) some of the lyrics danny didn't like all the hate he got stir crazy hopped on a bike and pedaled out of the gate guards were standing there all day something made them look the other way and then the chorus is i'm going out i'm going outside i'm moving out i'm moving outside (laughs) and it's got all these stories about people escaping or leaving prisons 
sort of specific uh, uh-huh. examples of people. I think there's one yeah. that talks about he was a go boy and I didn't know what a go boy was. You know what a go boy is? Nope. Yeah, I guess it's a prison term for people who are attempting to escape. Go boy. And so, because okay. the rest of the prisoners start chanting, go boy, go boy. <laughs> no idea. But the chorus, I'm going out, I'm going outside, I'm moving out, I'm moving outside, is just infectious. So are you are you relatively familiar with this album then? You said you It's uh, been a long time since I've listened to it. This is one that's always like in my mind it's like oh I really like that album and then I'll put it on every once in a while. Yeah. Um, uh, but... It was it's definitely an album that didn't sound like anything else that came out in its market. I, you know because it's a three piece I can hear why people might draw some comparisons to the police. Certainly has much more of a Euro rock alternative sort of thing than like some of the uh, American alternative of that era. Even the cover art, right? The yeah, album's called I love the cover art. Things, things Break, and you've got this broken doll head and a broken, uh, like a doll arm. Yes, yeah, like, like a, a ceramic doll. Sort of ceramic. a ceramic doll, China doll face, yeah. yeah, and an arm. Yeah. And then it's got like the cartoon like looking piece of the face looking in through the middle. Right. Definitely was not what you would expect to find in a your Christian bookstore. There was store, no, probably. I mean, nineteen eighty. It's pretty unique for nineteen eighty six in the Christian yeah. market. I would say, yeah, um, a lot of great songs on there. I'd like to do that album, just an episode on that album sometime, just because I know there's a whole bunch of people who haven't heard of it, and then there's a whole bunch of people like you and me that have heard of it 
and really liked it and would like mm -hmm. to probably hear somebody talk about it. <laughs> so <laughs> that little niche, it's just so interesting. It came out on Word. Yeah. Re Producer right. Gary Chapman and Tim Marsh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Isn't Tim Marsh uh, related to one of the guys in the band? Isn't there a Steve Marsh? Yeah, there's Steve Marsh. I think he I think that's the guy who died. One of them died, right? Um, yeah. I want to say it was Steve Marsh that died at some point. Maybe not super long after this. This was maybe the second one in my list that I got. Yeah. Um, Quick Flight was first and then this one. And this one was probably late 80s when I got oh, I... it. 88 maybe. And mm -hmm. I put it on and I was like, oh, this was another one kind of like Quick Flight that I was like, oh man, this is really different and unique. And yeah. I'm just, I'm kind of proud that this is in the Christian market, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's, I was always looking for those. <laughs> those ones I very be proud definitely of. <laughs> a a dark lyrical theme, darker lyrical themes, darker sonics to the album. Mm -hmm. Steve Marsh uh, was the one who joined One Hundred Days, and he was diagnosed with liver cancer in '96 and died a few yeah. weeks later. Um, yeah. Looks like Glenn Teeple also played with One Hundred Days, and then Ross Teeple went into some sort of a healthcare uh, profession. Oh, gosh. Where'd you find all that at? <laughs> uh, there's a, a biography at last.fm. Oh, there you go. Okay. If anybody can find the Elam Hall record, it's definitely worth it. And if I could oh, yeah, find absolutely. that on vinyl, I'd definitely be intrigued to pick it up. Kind of one of those ones. You could find it online, but it's kind of one of those ones that if I didn't have it, I would probably think, okay, I could order it online, but I think I'm going to wait and see if I yeah. see it. At a, it's so much more meaningful to find it at a, a record store somewhere. And it's, yeah. and there's copies out there. It, it could happen. Yeah. So, you know, I was going to say, there's probably one other release in the CCM market that might be in the neighborhood of this. And that's a, the band in 3d. I remember in 3d under the, under the barrage. Yeah. I had Is that it? on cassette. Yeah. When I had cassettes. Yeah. I'd, had it on cassette. I may still have it somewhere. And I recently found it on uh, vinyl. I was in a record store and found that uh, on vinyl. So I, I grabbed that one up. I'll have to but go back and listen to it. I don't remember feeling about it the same way I felt about this one. But that yeah. doesn't mean <laughs> anything now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The N3D to me sounds very similar to some of the police uh, stuff. Mm. The other thing I was going to say is I actually was lucky enough to see Elam Hall in concert. Really? Because they opened up for Michael W. Smith. Right. On a tour in, I think it was 1986 or something like that. Which is probably um, his, uh, the big picture tour. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. That was his album that came out. Yes. Of yes, that's right. Yeah. I did. I hadn't heard of them before the concert. So that was my introduction to Elam Hall. Oh, how cool. Um, yeah, and they were yeah they were great in concert. Wow. Well, this was awesome. It's a lot of fun, man. Yeah, a lot of fun, and I got to explore some Peter Case, who's been on my list to explore for a while, and get to explore Bruce Coburn. There's some phenomenal uh, music from from artists like that, and I appreciate the reintroduction to the uh, the calls seen beyond dreams and the um uh, simple minds sparkle in the rain that's a really good album i heard a couple of cuts off of that but not spent a lot of time with that album itself and that was fun getting to hear that so really enjoyed your picks man yeah same and that is going to wrap it up for Mark and I's five cutout picks and wrap it up for this episode. I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you wonderful souls out there for joining me. 
And as always, a special thank you to those of you who have been here before and come back for more. I'm not sure why I said it that way, but that's where I went with that. And I'm going to go ahead and just embrace where I went. And I suppose you all have no choice but to embrace it as well. At any rate, thank you very much for being here with me. I am so thankful that I have a group of listeners that keep showing up. It's almost unbelievable that people keep showing up to take this journey with me and the people that I bring onto this podcast. I don't take it for granted. There are so many choices of things to listen to out there, and the fact that someone takes an hour or an hour and a half out of their life, even if they're commuting or walking or cooking or working while they listen to this, that's a chunk of time. And there's so many other options to be listening to. So please know that I do not take it for granted. I love joining together with people who I can relate to. And that's one of the reasons that I am doing this podcast and talking about music and hoping to make connections with people who enjoy the same types of music I enjoy and who enjoy looking deeper into the lyrics and the people behind the music and the way that the music reflects the important things in life. But enough of that. I am going to let a little Swedish post-punk band I found called Cut City take us out today with a song called Like Ashes, Like millions. Love you guys. Until next time, peace to you all. Take care.